Welcome to the second walk of Via Divina, the Franciscan Way. My name is Josh Harper. It's my honor to be your guide for half of our pilgrimage walks. When Francis experienced the call from Jesus to rebuild my church, he was stunned. Everything changed for him. He rushed from the dilapidated chapel of San Damiano to a merchant in Feligno and sold fabric from his father's factory. He even sold the horse he was riding. Bringing the money to the priest of San Damiano, Francis begged the man to use it for rebuilding the church. This rich kid must be either drunk or mad, the priest reasoned. He's a playboy, not a philanthropist, and his father will be furious if I accept the money. So the priest refused it. But this didn't deter Francis from the quest Jesus had given him. He returned home and began selling his father's inventory to raise money to rebuild the chapel. This young man racked with depression now seemed almost manic. People began to suspect that Francis had fallen off the deep end. Perhaps the most enduring legacy of Francis and Claire was their choice to sacrifice wealth and privilege to enter a life of poverty. Why did they do it? Was it for the sake of personal sacrifice so that the lives of others could be better? Did they sacrifice happiness when they left their worlds of privilege? Is it more holy to be poor than to be rich? The source material on the life of Francis that we have does not tell us that God required Francis to abandon wealth and to enter a life of poverty. Francis simply heard God call him to rebuild my church. At first, he may have thought that his access to wealth was the quickest way to accomplish this divine calling. Throw enough money at a problem and the problem can be solved. Raise enough money and a ministry or a cause can be fruitful. Even though the purpose of using his family's wealth had changed, in the weeks that followed his encounter with God, Francis was becoming more and more aware that his relationship with money was what God cared about most. The story of Francis and Claire is less about their radical choice of poverty. Rather, it's a story of freedom from the bondage that money has on our lives. Becoming free from possessions and the privilege they afford. Becoming free to experience the incomparable abundance of God's kingdom. Today's walk, we will explore the paradox of poverty and abundance, of material sufficiency and spiritual extravagance. As you walk for the next few minutes, consider your own relationship to money, security, and possessions. Pay attention to those things you own or plan to own that take up a lot of your time and energy.
There's a lot to think about with those questions and stories that we were invited to reflect upon. Just for a moment, I'm going to ask us to set those thoughts aside so you can come back to them in a moment. Whatever pace that you're walking at, maybe you start to slow it down and then find yourself still, both feet connected to the earth. And sometimes it's nice to just get a little sway, just a little sway side to side. Feeling that you're rooted to the earth, so you're connected, you're grounded, but there's a fluidity in your body. Take a nice deep breath if that feels comfortable to you. Maybe let it out with a sigh. (sighs) Bring your attention to your heart. Let's get in tune with its rhythm. And if you've been walking for a while, notice, almost like sap running through a tree, the movement of your blood. Just a warmth that you might be feeling circulating through your body. Breathe in and out again, as much as you want, as deep as you want. We're going to continue to turn our attention to our sensations. What taste do you notice in your mouth? As you take a deep breath in and out. What are two or three things to sense that you smell. Bring your ears attention to what you hear. What do you hear around you? How does your skin feel? And as you're ready, gently open your eyes, unless they're already open. Notice five things around you, things that kind of catch your attention. And as you're grounded and connected, 
to your own body and the earth's body. Breathe. Notice how you feel now, without any judgment. What do you notice about how your body feels? And perhaps as you feel ready, you begin a slow walk, even noticing the crunch of your feet on the ground. Slow pace. And pick it up as you feel ready. And now that we're inside of our bodies and our senses a little more, gently go back to the story and reflections that we were given a little while ago. Sit with those reflections and walk with those reflections in a way that's connected to your muscles and your blood and your heart and the sense around you and the air around you. Let that be a part of how you process. Feel free to stay in this place as long as you'd like. Enjoy. Let us continue our walk by entering into another breath prayer. This time we'll use Psalm 36, verses 5 through 9. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mighty mountains, your judgments are like the great deep. You save humans and animals alike, O Lord. How precious is your steadfast love, O God! All people may take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light, we see light. Like last time, let's take a few minutes to settle into your pace and pay attention to your breathing. You may connect this with your breath or your steps, whatever works best for you. Breathe in. How precious your love. Breathe out. We feast on your abundance. How precious your love. We feast on your abundance. Breathe in. How precious your love. Breathe out. We feast on your abundance. How precious your love. We feast on your abundance. How precious your love. We feast on your abundance. Let's continue this walk for the next few minutes.
Francis's father was troubled by his son's impulsive behavior, maybe even angry that this new church restoration mission was coming at his expense. This abrupt shift was also very public in the small town of Assisi. The only way to restore honor to the family name after Francis had stolen from his father to buy stones and mortar for the dilapidated chapel was to confront this foolishness publicly. When Francis finally reappeared in Assisi, his father dragged him to court for the money he had plundered from the family business. He thought Francis was crazy. After all, Francis was hearing voices and acting irrationally. Surely the magistrates would consider him unstable and force him to return the money and settle down to become the good and responsible son everyone expected him to be. Since Francis insisted that he was obeying God's call to rebuild the church, the magistrate deemed it a church matter and sent Francis and his father to the bishop. The crowds filled the church to hear how this fascinating scandal would end. At the end of the trial, Bishop Guido pronounced a sentence on Francis, ordering him to return everything that belonged to his father. It seemed like everybody expected Francis to see reason and repent of his foolishness. But at that moment, the chains fell off. A spirit of materialism departed from Francis. He had brought with him the money from selling his father's merchandise because he was prepared to return it. But he wanted to do more. Francis began taking off the lavish garments he so adored. He folded them neatly and placed a bag of money on top. Then he handed these things to Bishop Guido. There, in the public square, in front of a large crowd, Francis stood naked. Turning to the bishop, Francis said, My lord bishop, not only will I gladly give back the money, which is my father's, but also my clothes. Hitherto I have called Pietro Bernardone my father, but because I am resolved to serve God, I return to him the money on account of which he was so disturbed, and also the clothes I wore which are his. And from now on I will say, Our Father, which art in heaven, and not Father Pietro Benadone. Perhaps out of desire to respond to this most unusual display in the church, the bishop removed his robe and draped it over Francis, thus signaling that Francis now belonged solely to God and preserving a scrap of dignity for his parents. For Francis, this was more than just street theater. This was a kind of exorcism. The spirit of materialism and addiction to fashion departed from Francis that day, and he walked from there in a newfound freedom. He felt a contentment as he was truly free to follow the voice of Jesus with all his being, wherever the Lord would lead him. From that point on, Francis wore beggar's clothing. He would never own property again and relied on the kindness of others for his daily bread. It was a common sight to see Francis begging for stones and supplies from his family members and former friends to rebuild local churches while enduring their mockery and ridicule. Clothes, food, and comfort may have at the beginning been hard to give up, but the most enduring cost of his wholehearted commitment to follow Jesus was surely the broken relationship with his family 
especially his father. In all the written history of Francis's life, there is no indication that he ever reconciled with his father. This was hard for Francis. There are accounts of Francis walking through Assisi where his father would yell at him and harass him, even throwing things at him. 800 years after he walked in Assisi, people often think of Francis as strong, secure, confident, a saint. But these stories of his interaction with his father reveal a different side of Francis, a tenderness, his humanity. Often when he walked through town, he would ask one of the other friars to walk alongside him. If he encountered his father and his father started yelling at him, he would ask the brother to whisper in his ear that God loved him. A companion whispering God's love helped Francis graciously endure the loud, shaming voice of criticism and condemnation. In the next few minutes of your walk, I invite you to identify with Francis's need to hear and feel God's love in the midst of voices of shame, critique, or condemnation in your life. We will do this by entering into the scene together through imaginative prayer and recreate the scene by whispering in your ear the words of God's love and affirmation. This kind of prayer may be new to you, and it may bring up deep or difficult emotions. Only enter this kind of prayer to the degree that feels comfortable to you, or feel free to pause in between God's loving words to let them heal. You may opt to skip this exercise if you wish. Know that you are deeply loved by your Heavenly Father. Picture the cobblestone streets and stone buildings of Assisi and Francis and the friar encountering Francis's father. Identify your own feelings in your life that are similar to how Francis may have felt when encountering his father. Imagine yourself as Francis going about your business and you hear that voice, whether it's from a different person or from an inner critic telling you that you are worthless, stupid, unlovable, the voice of shame. Hear these words of God whispered in your ear by your companion. I love you. I knit you together in your mother's womb. I take great delight in you. I will quiet you with my love. I will rejoice over you with singing. Your help comes from me, the maker of heaven and earth. 
I heal your broken heart. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. In me, you may have peace. Continue to walk as one deeply loved by God. Feel free to pause the recording as long as you like. On the streets of Judea, a young man approached Jesus. Perhaps he was close in age to 23-year-old Francis when he stood before Bishop Guido. Like Francis, this young man was passionate about God's kingdom and desperately wanted to do what was right. It's likely as a little boy, he worked hard to be compliant with his parents' wishes and his Jewish upbringing. He followed all the rules and did everything he thought he was supposed to do to earn his salvation. As a young man, he dreamed of heaven and wanted to be counted with the righteous. He had just received an inheritance upon his father's death, and he wanted to be responsible. Adulthood was hard, and there were a thousand decisions to make. He had it all planned out. Finish his education, get his career going, and then give something back to the world to make it a better place. One afternoon, after listening to Jesus for a few hours from the edge of the crowds, he finally stirred up the courage to come closer and speak to him. Naturally, he began by addressing Jesus as good teacher. After all, everything he had heard about Jesus led him to believe that he was standing in the presence of greatness. No small talk here. He decided to cut right to his most pressing topic, inheritance. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus looked straight into his eyes with love and kindness Then he told them it was really kind of simple. Just keep the commandments. And then he began to list them out. Honor your father and mother. Do not kill. Pretty basic, the man thought, and something he knew easily. It was almost a little embarrassing, and so he cut him off. All of those things I have kept, teacher, since I was a child. At first, Jesus didn't say anything. He just looked at him. Silence. And those eyes, that's what lingered with the young man for days later. Those eyes that were simultaneously full of love and of sadness. Then Jesus smiled. He told him that the only thing left to do 
was to sell all his possessions and give it to the poor, and then he would be free to follow Jesus. Sell everything I have? Give it all to the poor? The young man was stunned. His inheritance was large, and his obligations were numerous. Who would provide for his mother in her old age if he had nothing? How could he betray his father who had worked so hard to leave him such a big inheritance? And how could he provide for his future wife and children if he gave it all to the poor? A hundred fears ran through his head instantly, and he concluded that it was just too extreme and foolish and impossible. I just can't do it, he thought. He lifted his head to see Jesus patiently waiting for his response. But there was nothing left to say and nothing left to do except to step away. Crushed by Jesus' words and regretful he had dared to approach the good teacher. Luke, who recorded this in his gospel, doesn't finish this man's story. All we know is that he went away sad, lacking the courage that day to surrender his material inheritance for the heavenly one he wanted. His plans didn't include the good teacher's challenge to choose one or the other. In fact, most people around him admired and were even envious of the man's family. The murmuring crowds that day wondered, who can be saved if a rich and devout man cannot? They considered his wealth a sign of God's favor and blessing. Both poor and the rich can be caught up in the love of money. For those born into families of material abundance, Like Francis, the journey of following Jesus often looks like moving towards material simplicity, breaking free from the possessions which have possessed. For others, those coming from poorly resourced communities, following Jesus may look like building financial security, freeing friends and family who've been trapped in generational poverty. But the challenge for all who follow Jesus is to release the love of money and to find security only in God. The Apostle Paul describes this in his letter to the Philippians, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. This first century young man, 12th century Francis, and we in the 21st century, face the same honest question. When it comes to our provision and our contentment, where do I place my security? Who or what do I love? As you continue your walk, I invite you to place yourself in this story from Luke 18 a well-intentioned person approaching Jesus with a question about securing eternal life. Imagine what it would look like to stand in the crowd and finally have a moment where Jesus looks directly at you. What questions do you want to bring to him? When it comes to your provision and contentment, your responsibilities and dreams, where is your trust located? Take the next few moments to walk quietly and let God speak to you honestly. If you need more time, feel free to pause the audio until you are ready.
The newfound joy Francis experienced by abandoning his opulent life began to look attractive to the friends with whom he used to gallivant around Assisi. Francis's growing spirit of abundance became more attractive than his fashion or his lavish parties. They were inspired by his simple lifestyle and service to Jesus. Several of them began to renounce their wealth and join him. Friends like Peter Catanio and Bernard Quintavalle, son of a nobleman. I've never felt freer and more alive. Ever since that moment, I became fully God's. Nothing possesses my heart, save the heart of my Savior. There's such joy in this, such simplicity. I want others to know it too. For a while, they all thought me insane. I don't care. I'm God's alone. My way is to trust and follow the voice of my Lord and love. A few days ago, Peter and Bernard really started asking me questions. What should they do? And though I had a few ideas, shouldn't they hear it from God for themselves? So I took them with me to a church and told them, God's will is revealed in God's word. Here is a Bible. So let's see. We decided to open the gospel at random and read the first verse we found. I went first. I opened the gospels up near the beginning and my finger landed on, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Our eyes widened. This was the voice of my beloved that had so freed me, so loved me, so filled me with joy. Well, friends, I said, let's try again and see how else God will confirm his calling. Peter, you give it a go. Peter stepped up, closed the Gospels and his eyes, quickly opened it, letting the pages fall where they may. Circling his finger in the air, he landed it firmly on the page and opened his eyes to see these words from Luke 9. Take nothing for the journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Our hearts quickened. Bernard pushed Peter out of the way and flipped a few pages back, closing his eyes and pointing a third time to God's word. And Jesus' words from Mark chapter 8 instructed, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Bernard and Peter fell to their knees. Three passages spoke one message. It was as though they heard the same voice that I did at San Damiano. We talked, laughed, and then fell silent. They knew what they had to do next. And we parted company as they left to gather their possessions and give away all they had. Two days later, I had friends walking with me as we worked to restore the broken down chapel of San Damiano and tend to the needs of the lepers around Assisi.
Bernard and Peter were among the first of Francis's friends in Assisi to hear God's call and respond with total obedience. In the months to follow, many more would see the evidence of God's joy and the fruit of living fully free in God's kingdom. The community grew. Francis didn't try to start a movement. He was just faithful to God's call. He didn't rant and rave about corruption in the church. He just lived into a new way. He rejected attempts to seek social status. He rejected the culture that said wealth proves worth. He poured his life out every day for the beggar in front of him, the leper along his path, the cage full of doves trapped to be sold in a market. And within 12 years of his experience in San Damiano, there were 5,000 others hungry to walk alongside Francis as he renewed the invitation to a life lived under a new king, with a new kingdom, with a new way of being in the world. Unlike the rich young ruler, who was more possessed by his possessions than drawn by his love for Jesus, Francis and these others chose the way of following Jesus. Whenever I share about how I chose to live and serve a marginalized, urban poor community here in Metro Manila, Philippines, I usually hear some sort of remark on how admirable my decision was to give up my comfortable, privileged life in the U.S. to help others. It's this idea that I'm giving up so much that seems to imply that I'm not getting anything from my choosing to live where I am now. In these exchanges, I can't recall anyone asking something along the lines of, what do you think you're receiving from your community? As the momentum of such conversations tends to move towards what I am instead giving to my community, not what they are giving to me. While I don't mean to heap criticism on how others react to my current lifestyle, I do want to highlight how their reactions seem to carry a couple implicit assumptions about communities like mine. The poor have more to receive than they have to give, and the privileged have more to give than they have to receive. When I decided to make this move here to the Philippines and live incarnationally alongside the underprivileged of Metro Manila, I felt like the call from Jesus was not some inward compulsion to go somewhere so that I could give something. Rather, I felt like there was a sort of distant voice tempting me to come and find something. To use Tagalog, my family's language that is native to the Philippines, it felt like the distinction between pumunta ka doon, go over there, and halika dito, come here. It seems like most Christian missions conferences and even the reactions that I mentioned earlier all carry the assumption of the pumunta ka doon imperative. After all, wasn't this essentially what Jesus himself instructed in the Great Commission? However, it was this gentle whisper of halika dito that stirred up longings in me to see what more there is to this life of following Jesus. I came here to the Philippines not with much to give, 
but with the hope that there is more of Jesus to find here alongside my people, forgotten along the margins. One of those people is my good friend, Ate Mane, who gives endlessly to those around her. Even though she has worked as a lumpia vendor for several years, just living off of what she earns day to day, she's always looking to help her neighbors and has become a trusted confidant for many. Recently, we've been working on a livelihood project that she started as a way to help her relatives and friends in the neighborhood earn some extra income through handmade products like the bayong, a traditional Philippine bag weave. In seeing her work for our community, I feel like this is the sort of overlooked abundance that I was being called to see through Halika Dito. In remembering this invitation of Halika Dito, I often come back to the image of treasure buried in a field that Jesus used to describe what the kingdom of God is like in Matthew 13. When the person in Jesus' parable sold all that they had so that they could buy a field with buried treasure, I imagine that others thought that person unwise for giving up so much just for that piece of land. But as the parable alludes, those concerns would turn out to be trivial when compared to the abundance of what the person found hidden in that field. They received much more than they gave up. It is this sort of abundance that I believe the warm, playful call of Halikadito leads us to. Halikadito calls to us from places that are often unseen, overlooked, and forgotten, and yet have so much to give us if we simply come. So what are you waiting for? Halikadito. As we approach the end of our walk today, let us get acquainted with one of Francis's most prominent followers, the Lady Claire. Many say that she, more than anyone else, held fiercely to the downward call of leaving worldly wealth for the sake of devotion. We'll learn much more of her story in our next walk, but for now let's hear a little about her story of chosen poverty and its fruit of abundant community. The daughter of a prominent nobleman, Claire refused to marry any of the suitors her family had lined up. She fled to the poor Zunkula chapel below the town of Assisi to meet with Francis who accepted her vows of poverty. To solidify her commitment and prove to her family that she would never return home, he cut her hair in the style of the Franciscan brothers, shaving the crown of her head. When family members came to take her home, she resisted their tugs and pulls by gripping the altar of the church with all her strength. Finally, she tore off her head covering to reveal the cropped hair and professed that she would have no husband but Jesus Christ. As other women, inspired by her vision and courage, began to join her, the order of the poor Clares began. Francis housed them in the church of San Damiano, the very chapel where Christ called Francis to rebuild his church. From this location, they established strong bonds of community, 
prayed for the protection and peace of their city, and served the needs of the poor. Though her life looked different than it would have had she married and stayed within the ranks of nobility, she knew a new kind of abundance that stemmed from an intimacy with Christ that flowed over into the community. An abundance that wasn't tied to earthly possessions or relationships. She had the freedom to delight in all that God provided. As you come to the end of your walk today, reflect on Jesus' words to the rich young ruler. Think of Francis and Claire's scandalous but bold steps to leave behind the possessions that possessed them and the growing kingdom joy that followed. What thoughts and emotions come to mind? Consider some of the steps you have taken to follow Jesus and to love those on society's margins. Imagine yourself taking courageous steps in the future. What would this look like and what kind of impact might it have in the lives of others around you? Talk to God about this a little while. Then we will come back with a closing prayer in a few minutes. You are holy, Lord, the only God, and your decrees are wonderful. You are strong. You are great. You are the Most High. You are the Almighty. You, Holy Father, are King of heaven and earth. You are three and one. Lord God, all good. 
you are good all good supreme good lord god living and true you are love you are wisdom you are humility you are endurance you are rest you are peace you are joy you are gladness you are justice and moderation you are all our riches and you suffice for us you are beauty you are gentleness you are our protector you are our guardian and our defender you are our courage you are our heaven and our hope you are our faith our great consolation you are our eternal life great and wonderful lord god almighty merciful savior <laughs> <laughs>